Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. Life is a gift. Every morning we wake up, every person we meet, every thought we think, every emotion we feel, every experience we make, inside and out. All of these are gifts given to us, gifts we cannot refuse and shouldn't turn down. I was allowed to learn early on that life is short and can be over quickly. I saw how fragile life is and how powerful it is at the same time. I was able to experience what it means to lose everything and to be able to get everything back. I accepted what life threw at me and I stood the challenge as an invitation. The invitation to be the best possible person, the best person I can ever become. The invitation to think act and to influence the thoughts and actions of others. The request to do my part to make this planet a better place. These are the sentences, the first paragraphs of my upcoming book, Status Offline, The Guide to a More Balance in a Technology-Dominated World. It will come out on March 6th this year in German, in Germany. But I'm thinking with my editor about an English version. So I'm going to take this opportunity in this episode of the Human Technology Podcast to talk a bit about the book, a bit of the backgrounds and roughly present the content, what I'm writing about, what my thoughts are, what my target is with this book. And yeah, what, what you get out of this. I will get into details about some individual aspects, some more detailed aspects in the coming weeks and months, not necessarily in the next episode of this podcast, but over the time, I will pick up some of the aspects and talk about that. So let's go into the book. The book, it starts as all these books start with a um, preface, a pre-word and uh, some introduction um, that we have. And um, then the main part, the major part consists of four big chapters. One is about the past. The second one is about the momentary, the existing, the present relationship between humans and technology. Uh, 
The next chapter then is on trends and megatrends about the future of humans in a technology-dominated world. And the fourth bigger part of it, the fourth chapter in this, the fourth major chapter, is what you can do. What you as a person, what we as a society can do to reach this balance in a technology-dominated world. So let's get into detail in these chapters a little further. About the past, the, let's say, the operating system I'm talking about is our genetical heritage. And I believe that around 4 billion years ago, something has happened on this planet um, that brought life into existence. I know there are other theories out there, there are other beliefs out there, maybe 6,000 years ago, maybe it's 10,000 years ago. But in this particular case, I am following the scientific mainstream that says, all right, something was happening. We'll probably never know what it exactly was. And since then, we are having life on Earth. And with a process called evolution, all the life we know today on the globe comes out of this one incident that happened four billion years ago. Evolution basically means that there are more or less accidental changes, mutations in the genome. And if they are good, if it brings a living being into a better position in the fight for resources, the fight for life, the fight for reproduction, then this change will probably be kept. And if this does not happen, if this change is not for a better but for a worse, then we will... Uh, this 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 life, this new species, will die out. And this has a this has a consequence. These there are consequences out of this. And because we carry this genome in us, we still have the genome of the Stone Age hunters and collectors from ten, twelve thousand years ago. So a lot of what we do, what we think, the way we see the world, the way we act on things happening in the world, all that, or big parts of that, is based on our heritage that we carry around with us. And this is then also connected to the second part of this first chapter, which tries to find out where I discuss what is the main difference between humans and animals. So, 100 years ago, the idea was humans are using tools and animals don't do this, which turned out to be wrong. So, we have birds using little sticks to get ants out of holes. We have fishes dropping stones onto, onto uh, shells to, to crack them. We have other animals using uh, monkeys, for example, using stones to crack nuts. So, so this is definitely not distinguishing humans from animals. The second thought was humans have emotions and animals don't have them. There are, I mean, we will probably never know if 
animals have emotions as we have them. Maybe a, a, a cat, I have a small cat that visits me every day here in my, in my office that passes by in, in the garden and maybe she is having deep emotions. Maybe she is looking forward to seeing me or to, to uh, be being patted by me. Yes, maybe, maybe not. But there are clear indicators that animals have emotions and some states on the world, some countries on this world, New Zealand, for example, or Spain, um, have in their regulations statements that animals are emotional beings, that they have feelings and they draw consequences out of that, how you are allowed to treat animals and what you can do with them. So the idea of emotions and non-emotions is also not very stable. I believe in the idea that humans differentiate from animals in the complexity we can do communication. About 70,000 years ago in evolution, something has happened that gave us the ability to com can communicate on a complex level. I mean, animals can communicate. Monkeys, for example, they can say, hey, um, there's a tiger coming, let's jump up onto the trees and uh, be there. Or whales are probably communicating with what we call whale singing. Um, insects, bees, for example, uh, they use the frequencies, uh, uh, higher frequencies to communicate where beautiful flowers are on, on, on a lawn. That is happening. And, but, but that's not the complex communication I'm, I'm talking about. This is connected to language, to spoken language, later on to written language. And it allows, for example, exchange of information on the level, hey, on the next full moon, um, let's meet 20 of us down by uh, the river where the river bends and uh, then we will hunt the mammoth together. So that, that is the kind of complex communication that animals cannot do. And we can also talk and think about abstract things like beliefs, like religion, we can uh, get into philosophy, think about theories and develop them. This is something that animals cannot do. And for me, this is the big difference between animals and humans. On the other side, we have artificial intelligence. And when I wrote this book, ChatGPT was not existing, so that's a pretty fresh thing. But, uh, I mean, intellig artificial intelligence can get pretty scary and we, have, uh, we need to take a, take a close look at uh, what's happening there. But at the end, there are three things I take typical for humans. I see as typical human features. That's empathy, that's intuition, and that's creativity. These three things... And artificial intelligence can fake all three of them, but it's uh, not possible that uh, the, the, probably an artificial intelligence will never really have these abilities to feel empathy, to be intuitive, and to be creative. So that differs us from, from artificial intelligence. Next part then is about the human brain. And it's not from a neurological point of view. It's more just like from a 
let's say, user point of view, a more mechanical point of view on how it works and how we can use it. And we believe we know a lot about the human brain, which is not true. So we know we know how the brain works, about the hormones, about the information transfer. We know where is what kind of information processed. But what are feelings? Where is love coming from? How is that processed? Where is higher beliefs coming from? Where is that processed? Where, wh why are we able to watch our own brains working if we do it the right way? All those are unknowns. And so the biggest uh, mistake in uh, brain, uh, or if, if, if uh, non-neurologists look at brains, uh, is that brains are like computers. And I'm talking about this and why this is not true. And the human brain is not a computer and... Yeah, so all this is, is part in this that we understand we are not animals, we are not artificial intelligence, we carry our genome and this creates our human brain which makes us unique and which is the main thing we use to interact with technology. Second big chapter is on the relationship between humans and technology. And the um, the main thing here is the Janus-headed um, view on technology. So Janus was a god with two faces, one of each side of his head. And this is how I see technology. Technology in itself is basically yeah, neither good nor bad. It is technology. It is there. What it makes it good or bad is our behavior is our use is how we apply that how we use the, the 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 chances that it gives to us one simple example a smartphone is a smartphone it's a piece of glass with the screen behind it and housing and electronics and connectivity and tons of software that's a smartphone and that is neither good nor bad i mean you can you can go out there and use a smartphone to collect donations for the earthquake victims in Turkey. That is a good thing you can do with it. But you can also spread hate and anger over social media with your smartphone. Same kind of technology. You can do good things with that and you can do bad things with that. And this is the Janus had it um, view on technology It is the way it is. And sometimes, of course, in some technologies, um, it's easier to believe it's, it's for a good purpose. For example, a pacemaker for a heart, a heart pacemaker, um, compared to a gun. Uh, so the idea of uh, a gun being a good thing is at least under discussion. But even with a gun, you can do good things or bad things. I'm talking about, in my book, about social media, or as I call them, anti-social media. One whistleblower out of the inner circle of the, the Facebook management, um, she told us that hate and hate speech is core of the business model of Facebook. So social media wants to wants you to be on, on, on their channels as long as some are possible. So they do things that make you stay longer on whatever uh, social network it is. 
whether it's Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, they all basically work the same way. They want to tie you there. And they know that the more emotional content is, the higher the probability is that you stay there. And this leads to what uh, Gerald Lanier, um, a philosopher, technology expert, uh, calls the soul mentality. That is what is created by social media because the more... Um, yeah, the more hate you put out there, the more emotional posts you do, the more controversial um, you are, the more clicks you get. And each of these clicks gives you a little dopamine kick and you get addicted to that and you turn out more and more like this. And this way you spend more time and others spend more time because they may be on your side or against you. They command all what you do. And this is how social media works. And the basic problem here is it eats up enormous amounts of time. It is, um, yeah, it is tying us and it is changing our minds. It's changing the way we see. We built these social media bubbles. And yeah, I'm also talking about how we can solve this. There is a way out of this. Um, one part, of course, is not using them, but social media. And again, we have these two sides of technology. They have their positive sides. I am on, on, on Facebook and I can read what my friends in Mallorca or in Berlin are doing, what they're thinking, what they want the world to know about what they think and what they do. And so I can look it up and, and I can stay in touch with other people. So that's the positive side. The negative side is that these companies in the Silicon Valley collect your data, process it, resell it. And it's not really so much what you post. That is, that is just the very topping of it. How long you stay, what you do, what you read, how long do you interact with a single post. That is the gold that they are mining for. And you're selling your soul to social media with that. And I'm, I'm talking how we can get out of this. And uh, at the end of the day, it's all about how you can get all the benefits from technology without tapping into the traps that uh, big tech is, is putting out there for us. Digital loneliness. So we talk about soul and technology. We interact a lot with others. We interact, and, and interact uh, on, 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 on uh, social media, on smartphones, on PCs, with digital media. We interact with others. But at the very end, deeply inside, many of us are extremely lonely. And that is not, although we communicate, that may be because we communicate a lot in this digital distant way. Because if somebody drops off from your network of 3,000 LinkedIn uh, connections that you have, you will not see this. You will not find this out. And this pushes people into it. And so, yeah, we create this digital loneliness with technology. Although... Again, it has the potential to connect us. And we connect, but we will not get uh, out of this loneliness. And then uh, in times of home office uh, here during the, the pandemic, or it will stay, I think, we have floating limits. We have floating borders between private life and work life, between our intimacy and uh, the public part of our life. And at the very end of the day, we will end up with burnouts based on techno stress. 
It is demanding. It is sending us messages. We are forced to react short term. So at the end of the day, yep, that technology or the connectivity causes burnout because everything is blurring. Everything is floating into everything else. And we do not have clear private intimate areas anymore. That's basically the situation. Then I'm talking about the future, the future of a high-tech human, of a human in a high-tech world. And there are trends, there are mega trends, I discussed them. Um, I'm getting into the deepest inner um, of the, the relationship between humans and technology. How is that designed? How is the emotional part designed, the neurological part designed? And of course, with my background from the automotive industry, I'm writing quite a bit about us and the car, mobility um, as a basic need of humans. What is the future there? How will autonomy, autonomous driving change it, chair driving? All this is in this book. And then I will talk about quantum computing, internet uh, through satellites, about smartness that brings us back to the artificial intelligence part, um, smart devices here, connected devices there. And sometimes I think most of the technology is not smart. It's pretty dumb. It's stupid stuff that is out there. That brings me to the dancing bear. So a lot of technology is a dancing bearware. It's not hardware, it's software, it's dancing bearware. That's a big point when you have to ask yourself, is there really a value behind a certain technology? Is this making my life better, slimmer, smarter, faster, safer, whatever? Or is it just something a marketing department wants me to own? How, I mean, how, how big is the improvement between your today's smartphone and the one you had before? That's marginal. How big is the improvement between your today's car and the car you had before? That's not really big. But all these tech companies, they tell you, all these product companies, they tell you, you have to have it because if you don't have it, people don't love you, you're not successful, you're not beautiful, you're whatever. So if you buy my technology, you will be a better human, your life will be better, you will be happier, you'll be smarter, you'll be connected, and you will have fun, more fun, and you'll have more of everything that you want to have. And that is a, that's a big thing. Um, I'm, I'm talking about this dancing bear um, pretty deeply. And I, I, I'll, tell you the, I'll, I'll also tell you the story uh, where it comes from, why it is called dancing bearware. The final chapter, the final big chapter um, of this book is about what you can do. What you as a user, what you as a man, as a woman, as a boy, as a girl, what you as a person can do. And I'm talking about my motivation. Why am I doing this? Why have I written this book? Why am I going out there? And I'll tell you one thing. My motivation, my main motivation is time. You can lose everything in life. Money, marriage, 
love, hope, believe. You can lose all that. And you can get it all back. The only thing you will never give back is time. Every single second that passed is over and it never comes back. Every single moment that you run through is unique. And you can never relive it. You will never get it back. And now think, we spend a lot of time in learning how to interact with a stupid navigation system in a car. How much time have you spent in trainings where you had to learn some stupid software somebody was not able to program in the right way? How much time have we spent as developers into technology that has zero value? So for me, it is core that if we do technology, if we produce technology, if we spend all this money, all these resources, all this time into it, we need to create value. We need to make other humans' lives better. Better means safer, faster, funnier, um, more efficient, more focused. All these things are good things that we need to create with that technology. And so my motiv main motivation is time. Do not lose time with stupid technology. I have a three-step um, process that you can apply at any time when you want to get out of the rules of technology, out of the dominant technology. That's analyze, minimize, and control. Analyze basically is um, the question, is a technology, is a service, is a software, is something I'm going to buy, is something that I'm going to invest my money, my resources, my time in, is that dancing bearware or is this really containing value? So if you are able, and I'll show you this process in the book, to determine the real value of technology, of a certain product, then you can be sure, okay, it's not dancing bearware, it's my life, it's making my life better so I can use it. Second thing is minimizing it. Minimize your life. Drill it down to what is really required. And I said, we are having these two sides of technology. It is neither good nor bad in itself. It's having good parts and bad parts. And minimize means drop everything that is disturbing you, that is distracting you, that is not of any value for you. And keep what is a benefit. What is delivering benefits to your life? So minimize it to what is really important, what is really required, and drop all the rest. And the third step, control. We need to bring ourselves back into the driver's seats in interaction with technology. We are victims of technology today. We are slaves. So if your smartphone is ringing, binging, sending you messages, I mean, this stupid piece of glass is shouting at you. And saying, hey, I have three messages from your news channel. I have five WhatsApp and 17 emails for you. And you have to read it now. That is on the front display of your, of your smartphone. So I turn all that off. My smartphone is not blinking. It's not ringing. It's, it's, it's not vibrating. It's not showing me anything on the top side. I am the boss. 
I decide now it's time to get into it. And of course, I'm checking my mails while I'm waiting for an aircraft. Yes, of course, I'm writing uh, uh, WhatsApp messages uh, while I'm uh, watching TV. So I'm doing this, but it's my decision. I'm not forced into something by a stupid piece of technology. Next thing is um, viewing into the imaginary mirror, as I call it, meaning focus instead of diffusion. And that brings us down to meditation. And I'm not a meditation expert. I'm writing about my personal experiences with this uh, behavior, with this uh, exercise that I'm doing. And this gives me focus. This allows me to avoid distractions. Meditation, if you do it for a while, consequently allows you to focus on what is important and to get rid of all these distractions technology is offering you. I mean, it's an indulgence and, and uh, technology wants to indulge you and, and make you yeah, diffuse, interact with it, spend time with it and waste time with it. This is what technology wants. And you can avoid that if you train your mind on staying focused, on keeping your thoughts clean, on remaining on one task that you want to solve. I very much believe in personal action and in our individual activities. I very much believe that we are the masses of our life. And I'm not the guy that says, hey, this needs to be solved by society or by some legislation or whatever anonymous thing or part that we have. But there are a couple of things that we should have a look at. First of all, yes, legislation is, is something, but I think education, that is the core thing. And I think we should teach our kids early at school uh, on how to work with digital on connected devices and where the traps are. This basically means, uh, does not mean that I want to have five years old playing with a smartphone in, in the kindergarten or a seven year old at, in, in school. I want them to learn about the mechanism that big tech has, how social media work, how influencers work, how all these things really work. This is what we should teach the young kids very early age to let them know we have all the benefits of digital communication. Technology is great. It's good. But there's also a lot of danger behind this. And this understanding, this is something we need to teach young people. I started this podcast with the first paragraphs, with the first sentences of my book. And at the end of this episode, I want to read out the final ones, the very last ones that I have written. This world is wonderful. Technology has helped us to build homes that withstand the weather, rain and storms and stay warm. We invented the wheel and the engine and with it, we acquire mobility, the ability to travel to distant places. 
We invented medical devices that makes our lives better, longer and healthier. We built airplanes and today we can reach other continents in a few hours. We have developed smartphones and thus conjured up universal digital tools into our trouser pockets. We create self-learning machines that relieve us of boring routine tasks. Technology is neutral. Only how we deal with it makes it good or bad technology. Technology is Janus-faced. It allows us to make this world a better place or a world place. It is in our hands. You have it in your hand. Don't give up. Even if the power of big tech seems overwhelming when the pull of social media. Just keep going. Even if the mechanism of the algorithm, if the business models of the social networks are powerful. It is our decision to break the dominance of technology. Finding the right balance for you, for your life, for your needs. It is your responsibility to eliminate dancing bearware from your community, break technology dominance and live your best life. It lies in your hands. It's only up to you. Let's go. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de Tune in next time, take care and stay healthy.